Good morning again. As we, uh, as we continue this series in the Psalms, um, there's been kind of a common theme that we see throughout, that we've seen throughout this last month that we've been in this series, as well as just uh, that we see in the Psalms, and that is praise. Praise is a very common theme. As you read the Psalms, you see a lot about praise. And we're going to see that in Psalm 65 this morning, that, that, that it's all about praise. And as we talk about praise, as I, as I was thinking about praise, I kind of realized that there's kind of these, these two, two responses, these two sides of praise. Because in, in some sense, praise can sometimes kind of be awkward, right? A lot of times when people are praising us, we're like, oh no, no, I don't deserve that. No, I, you know, it was really nothing. And, and we kind of can push praise away when people are trying to, to praise and honor us. And, and, and sometimes in the same way, when somebody might deserve praise, we kind of don't want to give it to them because, you know, I mean, you want to keep people humble, right? You don't, want to, you don't want them thinking too highly of themselves. I mean, the Bible talks about that. And so maybe we don't praise people as much be, because of that. And so sometimes receiving praise from people and giving praise to people, we can kind of feel uncomfortable with. You know, the, the Bible gives us this idea that, well, we praise God, we worship God alone, and so I have to be careful with how I, how I act with other people. But even in, in praising God, sometimes we can kind of be shy. I would say that on Sunday mornings here in the church, we feel comfortable praising God, right? We sing songs together. It's, it's very normal. Um, a lot of us grew up our whole lives doing this, and so it doesn't seem weird at all. But have you ever brought somebody, a friend with you, that doesn't believe in God? Have you ever brought them to church? All of a sudden, you get a different perspective on it, and you start to feel uncomfortable, maybe. Because you start to think, what would this look like to an outsider? It would probably look really weird to somebody who doesn't believe in God to walk in and see all these people raising their hands and singing to this make-believe, you know, guy in the sky. And we don't believe that, and yet when you start to think about it that way, you, you get uncomfortable, and you go, yeah, that, is this weird what we do? And so there's that kind of, that side of praise, that it's, it can be awkward, uncomfortable, seem weird, and yet, on the other side, I would tell you that praise is one of the most natural things that we do. When you receive something good, when something good is given to you, or when you see something good, you, you want to praise it, right? Even think, think about a movie. If you see a really great movie that you really like and you walk out going, man, that was such a good movie, you want to tell people about it. You want to go, oh man, you should see this movie. And in a sense, you're kind of praising that movie, right? You're not worshiping it. You're just, you're just you're, you're praising it to other people. You're telling them how good it is. What about when somebody makes you a really good meal? Now, Anytime someone makes you a meal, you probably say thank you, right? Because that's the polite thing to do. But what about when it's really good? I mean, when it is the best you've ever had. And you're, you get done with it and you just go, man, I've got to tell you, that was the best lasagna I have ever had, right? And, and it's that natural. And in fact, it kind of completes the experience for us when we give praise where praise is due. And, and it's the same way with God, right? God is worthy of our praise, and so we should praise him. And that's what Psalm 65 is about. If you look at the first verse here in Psalm 65, David is the one who wrote this song, and he says, Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, to you shall vows be performed. And this first verse really just sets the stage for the rest of the psalm. It really, really outlines what the rest of the psalm is going to be about. Praise is due to you, O God. And what is he saying there? God, you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of praise. 
And then we see that second line, to you shall vows be performed. And, and that's kind of a, a weird one. We're not really, we don't do a lot of vows today. And as I was thinking about how do I, you know, how do we understand this better today? Well, hit me, there is still one place that we do vows, isn't there? In a wedding, in a marriage. And as you think about it, what, what are you saying with those vows to your husband or your wife? You're saying, I'm devoting myself to you, to you alone, right? Those are exclusive vows, I, I will be your husband, your wife alone, so you're devoting yourself. And in the same way, making a vow to God is devoting yourself to God. And we do that, why? Because God is worthy of it. In the same way that when we get married, usually you don't get married to someone you don't think is worth getting married to, right? You've, you've taken the time to get to know them. You've established this idea that they're worth it. I'm going to devote myself to them. God is worth devoting him worth devoting our lives to because of who he is and what he's done. And that's what this psalm is all about. Um, we, we see a few different sections. If you remember, I think when, when uh, Scotty Wharton started this series out for us, he, he gave us uh, a, an, an insight into the psalms that whenever there's a gap between paragraphs, that's like a new section is beginning. And there's two of these in the psalm, and so there's three different sections. And what I'll tell you is that there's three different reasons that we have to praise God this morning. And so as we jump into this first section, starting in verse 2, let's, let's read it together, verse 2 through 4. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. And there's a theme that we see in the midst of, of these few verses here. And one of them is, is, that, is, is God bringing us near, right? We see in, the, in verse 2, um, to you all flesh shall come. God hears our prayers and we come to him. So to you all people will come. And then in verse 4, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. God is, is drawing us near. And we see, how, how, is, how does God do this? We see that the, we, we understand it best in verse 3 there. Verse 3 says, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. There's a couple words we have to think about there. Iniquities and transgressions, right? That he's, he's talking about sin there. But David here is talking about sin in a different way than we're used to. We usually think of us committing sin, of us doing wrong. But what does he say? He says, when sins prevail against me, when sins come against me. And I just think of that, that burden of, that sin puts in our life. And, and I think that he talks about it in, in a good way because we often don't think about it that way. Sin coming against us. Now, don't get me wrong. We're still responsible. We still are the ones committing the sin. It's, it's not that we can shirk responsibility. But, but there's still this aspect, this idea, and you've probably felt it before, where sin just prevails against you. Temptation comes upon you and you just say, I, I, can't, I can't fight anymore. I just have to give in to that sin. And then we sin. And we've rebelled against God. And when we rebel against God, when we sin against God, what happens? What happened all those years ago in the garden? Separation. That sin separated us from God. But what does God do? He atones for our iniquities. And that's another word, atone. It's, it's actually an interesting word because atone was a, as an English word that was invented for the Bible. It originated with the Bible when they were translating and translating it into English to try to figure out how to describe what, what God has done for us. And it's actually very simple. If you ever forget what does atone mean, just break it apart at one. 
at one. God has made us at one with him again. And so atonement is at one God has, has brought us together with him. So we were separated from God because of sin, and God has brought us together with him. And when we're together with him, when he draws us near us to dwell in his courts, and I think of the other psalm, another psalm that David wrote, uh, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. God has brought us into his presence, into his courts. And guess what? We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. We find satisfaction in that. And so, we, we go back to that first verse, praise is due to God. So what, why is God worthy of praise? Why should we praise God? Because he's redeemed us. Because he saved us. Because he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And I will tell you, for the rest of eternity, we will be able to praise God for that. For the rest of eternity, we will never stop being able to praise God because of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. And as David writes this, he doesn't fully even realize that, right? He has maybe a glimpse of it. He's experienced God's salvation in his life, right? He's fought Goliath and won. He knows what God's salvation is like. And he knows that someday there's going to be one that's going to come from his own line that's going to, it's going to save the world, but he only has a glimpse of it. And yet, how much better do we understand it looking back? How much better can we praise God because of what Jesus did on the cross for us? And so that's the first reason this morning that we have to praise God, that we have to worship God, is because of the sacrifice that his son made on the cross for us. And we'll never, that'll never cease. We'll never stop being able to praise God for that. We move on to the second section now, verses, uh, starting in verse 5. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. The theme we see running through this one is, is one of God's great deeds, God's great deeds in, in creation and his power over creation. In verse 6, the one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might. I want you to think about a mountain right now. We're blessed to live in an area that we have several mountains that you can see, you can visit around here. And think about the might of a mountain. In all of the accomplishments of man, we still have nothing that compares to a mountain, right? You think of all the buildings that we built, all the structures that we built, and yet it's nothing compared to a mountain. And how big of a, an obstacle is a mountain for us, right? That we have to create these roads to get over. And even then, it's still not easy, especially in the winter with the snow. We have these obstacles that we can't overcome. God is the one who created those mountains. He's the one who established it in his might. God has power in his creation. You read the next verse. Who stills the roaring of the seas. Now, I've never been on a, out on a boat in, op, in, op, in the open sea before. Probably some of you have. But I've seen enough movies and documentaries and that kind of stuff to know that it can be a scary place out there. That when the, when the waves start roaring, that you are completely helpless to do anything about it. That, that on that boat, there's so little you can do to control it. And yet, God is the one who can still the seas. I mean, look at Jesus. 
Jesus had that power in him to, to calm the seas. God not only has power in creation, but over creation. And not only in those natural things that we see, but also the tumult of the peoples. He has the power to bring peace. He has the power to bring war upon the earth with the people. God has power over the people as well. So we, got, we see God's awesome might in his creation as well as over his creation. And, and it's so that those who, who dwell at the ends of the earth are not their signs. Not just those in Israel who have the word of God there at that time, but all around the earth, at the ends of the earth, they can know, they can see the power of God in his creation. And then this last verse in this section here. You make them going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. The going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. The sunrise and the sunset declares the glory of God. The sunrise and the sunset gives praise to God. Even creation itself will praise God. And as I was thinking about this, it really hit me because I thought about that ever since the dawn of time, every day there has been a sunrise and a sunset, right? Even if there's clouds and we can't see it, there's still a sunrise going on above the clouds. And if you were to get above those clouds, you'd see how beautiful it is. So every day, so twice a day, every single day, without fail, since the dawn of time, God has been praised in the sunrise and the sunset. And I was like, man, that's crazy. But then I kind of took another step back and realized that that wasn't quite true. Because if you were to take a few steps back and go into outer space and you were to look at the earth, you'd find that it's not that the sunrise and the sunset happens once a day, but that they're constantly happening all the time. As you look at the earth rotates, you can see that everywhere that there is constantly a sunrise happening somewhere on the earth. There is constantly a sunset happening somewhere on the earth. And that has been going on every moment of every day for all of time. Creation has been worshiping God through this. Creation has been praising God through this. How amazing is that? And, and it's, it's simply for, for, for God's creation, for his power in creation, his power over creation, we should praise God. Praise God is worthy of praise, but it goes deeper than that. You may have noticed I kind of skipped over verse 5. And when I was first going through this, I kind of felt like, uh, I feel like verse 5 was a part of the other, it kind of didn't fit. It's part of the first section. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. This idea of God being our salvation, he's the hope of all the ends of the earth. What does that have to do with creation? And yet, we see God's power in creation, that God doesn't just want to save us. He doesn't just want to redeem us, but he also has the power to. And we see that in his creation all around the world. We see that in the sunrise and the sunset every day, that God has the power to save us. God is mighty to save us. Once again, pulling us back to that redemption. God is worthy of our praise, not only just because he has redeemed us, but because he has the power to redeem us. And we see that power everywhere. As we look at creation, we can give thanks to God for the beautiful trees, for the mountains, for all of this wonderful stuff. But ultimately, that's going to lead us even further to seeing God's power and remembering his power on the cross to save us from our sins. God is worthy of our praise because he has power to save us. And then we come to the last, the last section here, starting in verse 9. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. 
The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. As we get to this last section, I want to kind of go back and look at the context of this psalm. Now, all we really know about this psalm is that it was written by David to the choir master and that it's a song. Um, that, that's all the subscript tells us. But I think that some clues in the text tell us something, something else. Number one, in verse one, uh, David's reference to, to Zion probably, probably shows that this is a time after David, David has become king and he's established his throne in Jerusalem. So this is some time after, after David has taken over and he's been king for a little while now. And you look at that last section, and you see what he's talking about. He's talking about the rain coming and the crops growing. This was probably during springtime, during the harvest. God has sent the rains, and now the harvest is growing abundantly. And David, I can just picture him standing on top of his palace in Jerusalem, looking out beyond the city to the farmlands beyond, and seeing the bountiful harvest growing. And he's praising God for it. And we, and we can understand how David would praise God for that. And yet, when it comes to our own lives, there's often a separation, right? Now, we praise God for the provision in our life. We might praise God that we have a roof over our head or that we have money um, to, to buy things every month. But how often do you praise God for providing you with food and water? Um, like I said, I think there's kind of a separation sometimes. Because do you guys know where the water in Clark County comes from? It's not from your faucet, okay? <laughs> but that's all we think, right? We, don't, we think about, okay, I pay my water bill every two months, and when I turn on my faucet, the water comes out. I've got water, wonderful. Why would I ever praise God for something like that? But believe me, it doesn't start there, right? And there's no water factory in Clark County that creates water and sends it to your house, okay? Um, I found this out a, a few months ago, but actually most of the water in Clark County comes from snow melt, that believe it or not, the snow in the mountains that piles up in the winter melts in the springtime and the summer and goes down rivers, and that's how we end up with water. Even if you have a well, the groundwater that your well is getting water from comes from the snow melt in the mountains. So how many of you have the ability to make it snow or rain? Right, none of us. So how much can we provide water for ourselves? Zero, right? Nothing. We have no ability to provide water for ourselves. And that's like one of life's most basic needs that we need very regularly, right? How often should we praise God because he has brought us water? And we live in a very, we live in a very wet area of the world, right? And, and so it would take some time for it to dry out, but it, it probably wouldn't, you know, a couple years of not very much rainfall, and, and we would start to notice how much God provides the rain. Or doesn't provide it, right? And it's a similar thing with food. He talks about the rain, but then the, the rain provides the grain, right? It, it's what helps grow the crops. And for most of us, we don't grow our own food. Maybe you have a small garden in your backyard, but most of us, we get our food from the store. And, um, and, and so when I think of God providing food, I don't really think of it that way. I think of God providing me with money that I can go buy food, but the food always has, or the store always has food, right? Ever since, when I've, the whole time I've been growing up, 
Um, I have never been to the store when they didn't have food. Now, that's not true for everybody. There's been times and areas where drought and the store didn't have food. But my experience is the stores always have food. The stores, the stores always have food. So why would I need to praise God for that when the stores have it? I should thank them for it, right? But once again, the stores don't make the food, right? And as many artificial ingredients as we have now, we still need natural, real food. We still need animals, plants, those kinds of things that we cannot cause to grow. We can't cause crops to grow. And I know that very well when I look out at my garden in the backyard. It's not doing so well this year. And I know that, that if I was better at it, if I spent more time watering it and weeding it and, and doing those things, that it would be better. I do know that. But I still can't make it grow. Do you know what I mean? I can water it all I want. I can feed it. I can, I can do that. But I cannot physically make it grow. God's got to be the one to make it grow. And that's true about all the food that we eat. The farmers can, can water. They can plant. But they can't make it grow. We are, we are completely reliant on God for food for water, for the most basic things in life. And so what does that mean? That means that we should be praising God for his provision in all things. That we can praise God. God is worthy of our praise because he has provided everything that we need. The sun is still shining up in the sky, giving us a warm day today because God has made it shine, right? Because he holds the universe in his hands. And so we see this, this third reason. Why, why can we praise God? Why is praise due to God? Because he has provided for us. And I encourage you to think about it in, in that way, not, you know, as David would have seen it. As David would have seen looking out over the crops, seeing these things grow, having peace, and, and thanking God for his provision, that they were going to have food for the next year because of those crops. That we should do the same thing. We should be thanking God for his provision in our life. But once again, I think it goes deeper than this. Because we can look at these wonderful things that God has provided. But if we had all the food and all the water and all the stuff we could ever need, but we were still dead in our sins, it would be pointless, right? It would be useless. That God's greatest provision isn't just food and water. We need that. But God's greatest provision was when he provided a sacrifice on the cross, a substitute to pay for our sins. And I think about Abraham walking up the mountain with Isaac. And Isaac goes, Dad... Where's the sacrifice? And he says, the Lord will provide. And that day, the Lord provided a ram. And many years later, the Lord provided his own son on the cross. A provision for us. That we wouldn't have to spend an eternity separated from him. But that atonement, making us one with him, bringing us together with him. That we could have life with him forever. And God will be forever worthy of our praise for that. And that's what I want us to understand this morning is that if God never did anything ever again, he would still be worthy of our infinite praise because of what he did on the cross. No matter how bad your life gets, no matter how difficult it is, you may be struggling, you may be going through a very difficult time. Someone close to you may have died. You may be going through a divorce. You may be losing your house. You may feel, you may feel just at the bottom. You have no hope you still can praise God because Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. And that will never not be true. That will never cease to be true for the rest of eternity. We can praise God for that. Praise is due to God. God is worthy of our praise because he's redeemed us. 
Praise is due to God. He's worthy of our praise because of his creation. And ultimately, that leads us back, though, to his power in being able to redeem us. God is worthy of our praise because he provides for us. And yes, he does provide lots of good earthly things for us, but ultimately the best is when he provided his son on the cross for our sins. And that's what this comes back to. The number one thing that we have to thank God for, to praise God for, is Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. And so there's a couple of things that I want you to walk away with today. Praise, like I talked at the beginning, is, is one of the most natural responses in our life. We, we naturally want to praise things because they're great. And, and so if we have trouble praising God, we really just need to understand who he is better. We just need to know him more. And that praise will come naturally. And we do that by reading his word through prayer. And so there's a couple specific ways. And the first is to start your prayers off with thanksgiving and praise. That every time you pray, whatever it is, in the morning, you know, before a meal, whenever you, whenever you decide to pray, start out with thanksgiving and praise. And that will really change the way that you pray. Um, too often we just kind of start with our laundry list of complaints to God. Right? God, I need your help with this. Why didn't you do this? You know, these kinds of things. And, and we end up kind of just, that, that's all we do is complain to God for a little while. But if you start just by thanking God, by praising God for who he is, for what he's done, that'll change your prayers. And what you'll find out is that laundry list gets a lot shorter. Because you all of a sudden realize, man, God's given me everything I need. What do I have to complain about? And it really will change the way that you pray. And I started doing this um, not too long ago. I started praying through an acronym, and there's lots of different acronyms for prayer that you can do. And, and the first two of mine are thanksgiving and adoration. And so every time I, I pray in the morning, I try to start out with thanksgiving and adoration. And I can tell you it's not always easy. Believe me, there's times in the morning when you just wake up and you haven't had your coffee and you kind of feel like, what in the world do I have to praise God for? Now that sounds silly right now, right? But in the morning it makes sense. And sometimes I just have to force myself and go, no, I'm going to thank God for who he is and what he's done. And slowly but surely, my heart starts to change. And I authentically start to praise God. And it changes the, the rest of the, the way that I pray the rest of that time. So not only should we be starting out our prayers with thanksgiving and praise, but, but the Bible talks about praying continually. So what I want to tell you this morning is to praise continually. We should be praising God continually. Because we have every reason to every moment of our lives. Number one, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That, that makes God worthy of praise every moment for the rest of eternity. So we could just stop there. But not only that, we see his beautiful creation. We see his wonderful provision in our life. Every time we sit down for a meal, we can praise God for what he's given us. We have every reason to praise God all the time. And that will, change your, that will change your life. That will change your outlook on life. That will change everything in your life if you are constantly praising God. I mentioned complaining earlier. I realized recently that I, kinda, I, I still have a problem with that some. I, I complain about things. And I know that I'm not alone in that. We as humans complain a lot. But one of the things that hit me is that if, if King Jesus died on the cross for my sins, what in the world do I have to complain about? If the Son of God came down from his throne on high to live an, a life on earth and then died the death that he didn't deserve but I deserved, he paid the price. He died for me. 
why in the world am I complaining about anything? I should just be praising God continually forever. We have every reason to praise God and we have no reason to complain because of what Jesus did for us on, on the cross for our sins. And so that's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. Start your prayers out with praise and thanksgiving. That'll change you the way you pray and that'll change the way you live. And praise God continually because he's worthy of it, right? This isn't just a, because the Bible told you so. Look at who God is. Look at what he's done. And you'll see that we have every reason to praise God all the time. Step into it. Do it. Make your life about praising God. Be one of those people that, that people know as is just the one who's always praising God. Be known for that. And that, that, will change, that will change your life. And it's what we were meant to do. It's what we were created to do. Let's pray. God, you are worthy of all of our praise. And God, I pray that, that, that your praise would ever be on our lips, Lord. As we, as we come to you, God, I pray that we would come with that heart of praise and worship to you, Lord. I pray that that would be in our hearts and our minds as we come to you, Lord. Um, help us to praise you with all of our hearts, God, because you are worthy of it. In your name we pray. Amen.